Well, good morning, Pillar Church. My name is Kanan Parker. I'm one of the pastors here at Pillar Church. And let's get right down to business. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. As you're opening your Bible there, I want to recount what we've been talking about last week and what we're going to talk about this week. Last week, we started a series called Spirit Empowered Legacy. And we looked at Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through verse 19, and we observed the legacy that the Apostle Paul left in the city of Ephesus. And we saw that he left a legacy of strength. Not strength the way we would typically think of strength, but he left a legacy of strength that was characterized by endurance, by vulnerability, and by humility. We all know that the Apostle Paul was a beast for the Christian faith. But what he showed us was that he was a humble beast for the Christian faith, used by God to influence the first century Ephesian church and still used by God to influence the 21st century Christian church as well. Afterwards, afterwards, I challenge you to consider the legacy that you didn't know you were leaving, because the reality is everyone is leaving a legacy. You're leaving a legacy. I'm leaving a legacy. And if we're going to leave a legacy, we might as well do it on purpose. A legacy is the indelible mark that you're leaving on your loved ones and the world around you. Legacy can be communicated in two primary ways. That which is caught and that which is taught. That which is caught are the things that you do every day on the daily. It's the actions of your life. That which is taught are the words that you speak on the daily, right? The worldview that you espouse. Now, the reality is the two don't always meet, right? Some people's talk don't match their walk and vice versa. But if you want to leave a spirit empowered legacy, then your talk has to match your walk. And what we want you to do is to say what God wants you to say and live the way God wants you to live. That's how we will build a spirit empowered legacy. And the Apostle Paul's life is a great testimony of that reality. Last week, we, we saw what we were supposed to catch from the Apostle Paul, that of humble strength. This week, we're going to look at what the Apostle Paul was intentionally teaching us with his mouth, because we need both if we, are, if we need both if we're going to shape a spirit empowered legacy. What we're going to do is we're going to survey Acts chapter 20. We're going to survey our text today and just kind of see what the Apostle Paul's aim was, uh, what kind of legacy he was looking to be in what kind of legacy he was trying to be intentional about leaving. So we're going to survey a handful of verses and we're going to pinpoint some words out of these verses. Acts chapter 20, verse 20 is where we'll start. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching you in public or from house to house. But I want you to observe here in this section are the words proclaiming and teaching. Next, let's look at verse 24. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of God's grace. Again, I want you to highlight the word testify. That's what the Apostle Paul is doing. He's testifying. Verse 27. Because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. What was the Apostle Paul's words? What was the Apostle Paul doing here? He was declaring. And then lastly, verse 31. Therefore, be alert, remembering that night and day for three years, I never stopped warning each 
one of you with tears. So we have proclaiming, teaching, testifying, declaring, warning. Paul is trying to make it abundantly clear that he that he labored to communicate something with the church at Ephesus. He labored to speak. He made it his aim to be vocal. You ever heard that saying, preach the gospel at all times, but when necessary, use words? Man, get that out of here. That's baloney because in our proclamation of the gospel, we have to always use words. The gospel is communicated via words. God left us a divinely inspired um, 66 a book love letter full of words for us to enjoy and read and get to know him in and through. The gospel is not just communicated through your actions. You have to speak the good news because the content of what you say matters. I used to hear this from my, my, my former pastor. He said, your walk lends credibility to your talk, but your talk lends clarity to your walk. And the Apostle Paul is hoping to communicate and he's laboring to communicate through both genres, through both ways. Why? Words matter. The content of your words matter. There's an author that said, be careful with your words because they're as powerful as atomic bombs. Words can be used to inspire whole generations unto greatness or inspire whole generations unto evil. Words can break your heart. But words can also make your day and build you up, can't they? There is power in words. In Pillar Church, I'm calling you to this. Be careful with your words. On social media, oh, please, Pillar Church, be careful with your words. In conversations with people, be careful with your words. I'm not saying this because I care to preserve the 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 way Pillar Church looks in the eyes of people. No, I'm saying this because the text tells us to be careful with our words. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36 through 37. I tell you that on that day of judgment, people, you, will have to give an account for the careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be acquitted and by your words, you will be condemned. James chapter one, verse 26 says, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Paul was bent on leaving Ephesus better than the way he came. And so he thought it was it was crucial to communicate that which was of first importance to communicate through his mouth something that had value, something that mattered. But first of all, he saw fit to communicate. And so, guys, when you're when you're hoping to proclaim the good news of Jesus, to declare it, to testify of it, know that you have to do so with your lips. And no longer do we have to be scared to share with our lips. No, just go ahead and tell what the Lord has done. I think about the woman at the well who didn't have a Ph.D. or a THM in theology. Uh, she wasn't a, a, a perennial pulpiteer preaching at different churches. No, she was a woman who had had several husbands. She was a woman who rather keep her head down. But Jesus spoke to her. Jesus engaged her. And then after Jesus engaged her and her heart was 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 had to reckon with the reality of whom she was speaking of, the Messiah himself. What did she do? She went and she told and she told people about this man who told her everything about herself. And she said, come and see. And she was used as a mighty evangelist to bring to salvation many who came to hear the Lord Jesus. You don't have to be 
eloquent. You don't have to be a, a, a Bible scholar. Oh, it's good to know your word. Oh, it's good to be eloquent. But know that God can use you just the way you are because God's power is able to overcome man's resistance, no matter the eloquence of the communication. And so, guys, speak. Tell what God has done. Try to be biblically accurate, but tell what God has done. Paul wants to make sure that he communicates that which is of first importance. And so, again, we're going to skim the passage and we're going to look at that content of which Paul spoke. What was the things that God was saying? Starting at verse uh, verse 30. Men will rise up from your own number to distort the truth, to lure the disciples into following them. Paul was bent on teaching, proclaiming, testifying, declaring and warning people of the truth. Did you see that? They're going to distort the truth. And his job was to proclaim the truth. But we're not done. Look at verse 27. Because I did not avoid declaring to you the whole plan of God. What was Paul declaring in this passage? He was declaring the whole plan of God. Verse 24. But I consider my life of no value to myself. My purpose is to finish my course in the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus to testify of the gospel of God's grace. What was he testifying about? He was testifying about the gospel of God's grace. And then lastly, verse 21, I testified both to Jews and to Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. What did he do? He testified about repentance toward God and faith. In our Lord Jesus Christ. If there is any confusion on what the Apostle Paul was trying to communicate here in this passage, it's that for three years he labored with the church at Ephesus, the elders there and the people of Ephesus, hoping to wrestle and challenge and change their worldview and draw them unto faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, not only do words matter, not only do actions matter, those are good, those make a good pair, but that's not it. Theology matters. What you believe matters. What you believe about God matters. What you believe about people matters. What you believe about yourself matters. What you believe about sin matters. What you believe about justice matters. What you believe about grace and mercy. It all matters. Theology matters because it's the steam in your steamboat, right? It's the engine. It's the engine that drives your words and actions. Your theology is the engine that drives your words and your actions. We all have a general theology. Everybody has a general theology. Some of us believe that there's one God. Some people believe that there's many gods. Some people believe that you and I are gods. Some people believe that there's no such thing as God. No matter which one of these you ascribe to, your theological disposition is going to govern the way you speak and the way you act in this world. Everybody has a general theology. The Apostle Paul was challenging the worldview of the people of Ephesus and Pillar Church wants to challenge that same worldview with the people of Fort Worth. Our desire is to talk with you and labor with you and pray with you and discuss the things of God with you. We want to engage with you in the hope, in the prayer, not that we have every answer to every question, but that you see the sincerity of our hearts and you see the content that has fidelity and that you are drawn unto the gospel of Jesus Christ because the words that were spoken were infused with, with God's power and that, that God would use these words and use these people who are willing to speak on, uh, speak on his behalf to draw 
all peoples in Fort Worth unto salvation in Jesus Christ. So Pillar Church, we will continue to preach the word of God. We will continue to teach the word of God. We will emphasize what God emphasizes. We will testify of what God has done. We will not rest in doing so because we believe that the gospel is of first importance. And when I say the gospel, I'm not just talking about your salvation from sin, Satan, and hell. That's just a piece. I'm talking about all that the gospel has accomplished for us, that all the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus, that all things that we see that are unjust will eventually be rectified because of the justification work of Jesus Christ on the cross and that all people will come to a reckoning one day before a holy and righteous God. I'm talking about all things being restored because of the blood of the Lamb. The gospel is big and we want to share the whole gospel with you. We want to be watchmen and communicators of God's word. Why? Because we ultimately believe what Paul believed about God's word. Look at verse 20. You know that I did not avoid proclaiming to you everything that was profitable. We believe that God's word is profitable. And because it's profitable, we cannot and we will not avoid sharing it with you. Did you notice twice here that the Apostle Paul says, I did not avoid, both in verse 20 and in verse 27? That brings me to a question from my Christian brothers and sisters. Have you ever avoided sharing God's word on a particular issue because you thought that those who were receiving your words would deem God's word as weak? And so what you did is you saw fit to add words to God's word in order for it to be valid and credible before the ears of those who were listening. And so you added a little something. You changed a little bit. You enhanced it a little bit. Yeah, never mind that. Jeremiah 23, 29 says this. Is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock to pieces. Verse four, uh, Hebrews four, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Oh, my friends, God's word isn't weak because we lack the ability to harness the fire, bang the hammer and wield the sword. God's word is powerful and it's strong to save Psalm 119, verse 60. The entirety of your word is truth. Each of your righteous judgments endures forever. Oh, my friends, God's word is time tested and eternally certified. Yes, people took God's word out of context and used it to defend chattel slavery, racism and rape. But don't people take your words out of context and use them to defend their own evil agendas and worldviews? My friends, hear this. The misuse of truth doesn't invalidate it. God's word rightly divided and preached with integrity is the power of God to set the slave free. It's the power of God to fight systemic injustice. It's the power of God to feed the poor. It's the power of God to love the disenfranchised. The word of God rightly preached in proper context has been shedding light and darkness since God said, let there be light in Genesis chapter one. No. We don't have to avoid nor sharing nor add to God's word. God's word is robust enough all by itself. You know why we avoid sharing? You know why we feel the need to add to God's word? Because we have a fear issue. 
We fear man's opinion. We fear rejection. We have a fear of not knowing what to say. We have a fear of looking foolish because we could potentially lose an argument. Guys, deceptive words and your fears don't change the fidelity of God's word and it doesn't change the historicity of the resurrection or the early church. It doesn't change the goodness of the gospel, nor does it solve the issue of the corruption of man's souls. Paul will continue to preach the word. Pillar Church will continue to preach the word and the word of God will continue to save souls because that's what it does. It'll continue to change worldviews because that's what it does. It'll continue to make its indelible imprint on this world. Why? Because the word of God is profitable. Second Timothy three sixteen and 17. All scripture is inspired by God. And it's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Guys, even the genealogies found in the Gospels are profitable because they help to show us and display that Jesus is who he said he was. Now, notice I didn't say validate that Jesus is who he was. No, Jesus needs no validation from man, but it helps it helps to display unto man that Jesus is who he said he was. So if Jesus says that he's the king of the Jews, then the, the, the genealogy in the gospel of Matthew will show you that. If Jesus says he's 100 percent man, then the genealogy in the gospel of Luke will show you that. If Jesus says he's 100 percent God, then the genealogy in the gospel of John will show you that. And if you're like, what genealogy in John? Well, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14 says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Speaking of Jesus. Right. And so if in the beginning was the word, that means in eternity past, the word existed and the word was with God, meaning that they are two, but they're dwelling together. And the word was God, meaning they're of the same nature. That means that the word is God. And so Jesus is the king of the Jews going from Abraham all the way down to King David, all the way down to Jesus. He's 100 percent man aligned from Adam all the way to Jesus. And he's God because he eternally existed with God and he was God. The only one without a genealogy is the gospel of Mark. But there's a reason for that. Mark 10, 45 teaches us that Jesus came to serve. He was a servant. And this the genealogy of a servant doesn't matter. So there's no genealogy in that gospel. Even the genealogies are are profitable. God's word is profitable to make us complete for every good work. So if you want to be an effective servant in your community, you want to be an effective servant for your culture. Learn how to bang the hammer of God's word. If you're not a Christian this morning, or maybe you're deem yourself to be a spiritual person, please hear me. God's word is profitable for you. And it's not just profitable because it's full of wise sayings and proverbial truths that you can take on home to raise your kids with. Yes, there's a lot of wisdom in the word of God that you could take home to raise your family with. That's true. But God's word is profitable because it's a roadmap that leads you all the way to Jesus, the one who gave himself for you. He's the one you've been looking for without knowing you've been looking for him. You need to find yourself closer to Jesus because he gave of his life for you. You offended God with your sin and God will dole out a just punishment for your sin.
that being an eternity of his wrath. But God's love was so thick that he decided to send his son in the form of a man. And his name as he was born was Jesus Christ. And as he lived, he lived a life of perfection. And as he died, he died a life. Uh, he died a death of substitution. And he gives that perfect life unto those who have had imperfect lives so that when they come before God, they don't see your imperfect life. They see the perfect, just life of Jesus upon you. And he can accept you because you have accepted him by grace through faith come on home to Jesus no more waiting no more wondering what people are going to think about you if you if you accept Jesus and you come to believe in Jesus what you need to be thinking about is what is God going to think about you and how is God going to accept you if you continue to reject him look at the text Matthew chapter 10 verse 32 through 33 Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my father in heaven. But look at verse 33. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my father in heaven. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this. Fearing people is a dangerous trap, but trusting the Lord means safety. If those words convict you, and you feel like you want or you need Jesus. If Jesus is compelling you to come on to him, then I bid you come. I bid you come. And the ones who come to Jesus, he will certainly not cast out. John chapter 6, verse 37. Why did Paul preach the word? Because he believed the word of God to be profitable. Next, we'll look at verse 22 and 23. And now I am on my way to Jerusalem, compelled by the spirit not knowing what I will encounter there, except that in every town, the Holy Spirit warns me that chains and afflictions are waiting for me. Did you notice that Paul being compelled by the spirit was enough to have for him to overcome any danger he was about to face? Did you see the danger he said he was about to face? He said in every town, chains and afflictions are waiting for him. Paul didn't know anything about his, for, his, for, his journey to come except that in every city there was going to be danger and persecution, right? Verse 23. This wasn't enough to dissuade Paul from sharing the good news, though. Paul was compelled. Paul was driven. Paul was motivated to endure all things for those who might come to a saving faith in Jesus Christ. 2 Timothy 2.10. To be compelled is to be drawn by something. It's to be provoked to action, no longer okay with standing idly by. Being compelled is a reaction. And in the case of the Christian, it's a reaction to God's action in and on us. That's what it means to be compelled. It is, an action, it is a reaction to God's action in and on us. We do because we are compelled. We don't do in order to gain God's favor. We do because we have received God's favor. That's why Christians do. That's why we act. That's why we share. That's why we proclaim. That's why we do good works. We do this as a reaction to God's action in and through us. We don't do it to earn God's favor. We do it because we have received God's favor. Paul was compelled to go to Jerusalem despite the realization that at every stop he was going to face opposition. You see, when you are compelled, you can't not go. You can't not speak. You can't not act. You can't not endure because what Jesus has done is too big. What Jesus has done is too wonderful. And I can't help but share the good news of what Jesus has done, his life, death and resurrection, all for the redemption of my soul, the redemption of this world. Oh, my friends, you have to tell it on the mountain. 
You have to tell it on the mountain. I was dead in my trespasses and sins. I was a hater of God. I was an enemy of God. God's wrath was abiding upon my head. John 3, 36. I was just waiting for God to lay the smack down on the kid. But then through his great merciful love, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, 2000 years ago to live a perfect life and die a substitutionary propitiatory atonement for my sins. And so now Jesus's life can be credited to my account and my sin can be put on the shoulders of Jesus that he could bear it on the cross. Only if I believe by grace through faith, oh my friends, it was free. It cost me nothing. I give my life unto this God who gave his life to redeem my soul for all eternity. I got to tell that news. I got to share that news. How could you not share that news that God has saved your soul, that God has redeemed you, that God loves you? How can you not share that reality that God not only loves me, but my friends, the offer of salvation is free to anyone who would come to believe. My friends, believe repent believe follow the Lord Jesus Christ for the salvation of your soul he is good he will care for you he will love you he will satisfy you he will give you all the desires of your heart because your desires of your heart have been your heart has been transformed by the goodness of God it has been regenerated to want the things that God wants and God wants wholeness and restoration in you and in this world come on you can't share that you can't share that good news. I don't even understand how people don't like the good news. It's good. There's nothing bad in it. God saves you. God loves you. God wants to redeem you. Have faith and believe. Repent and believe. How do you not want that? How do you not like that? Oh, the sinfulness of mankind. Sin has its grip. It has calloused our hearts. We are walking corpses. We need God to regenerate. We need God to make you alive again. Oh, Lord, open the eyes of people. Regenerate people's souls at the preaching of your word, at the sharing of your testimonies, of your goodness. Oh, God, would you do it? The news is good. It's illogical to not think it so. It's illogical to not think it so. If you're not compelled to, if you're not compelled to share that truth, you've grown cold to the realities of the gospel. Perhaps you never knew the gospel in the first place. Perhaps sin has its grip on you. Oh, Christian, hear me here. I pray that God would release the grip and that sin has around your neck. You are unconscious because it's been choking you out so long. This is good news. I pray that he would reignite the heat of the love you once had. I pray that his grace would be amazing to you once again. I pray that the Lord would compel you to share. I pray that he would remind you that your loved ones need to know Jesus. This is the legacy we wish to leave. Hear me on this. Lives are at stake. Your loved ones could walk across the precipice of eternity at any moment. The time is of the essence. We have to share. We must share. We are compelled to share. And today is the day in which we need to share. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of proclamation. Today's the day we pray for the boldness to stand up and proclaim the gospel and share the greatest news ever told. Today is that day. Despite what people might say to you, despite what people might do to you, proclaim that wonderful news. Tell it on the mountain, y'all. People need to know the life-saving news of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection. This is the gospel we want to leave. This is the legacy we hope to live. Guys, the legacy you leave will be driven by your compulsion. And that compulsion needs to be rooted in the profitable word of God. What compels you? 
What compels you? Is it the theological reality of the good news of Jesus or is it something else? Because your words and your actions will come out through the thing that compels you, through the engine of your theology, through the steam in your steamboat. Guys, what are you preaching? You say, Pastor Canaan, I don't have a pulpit. Yes, you do. Your life is your pulpit. They say the mouth speaks out of the abundance of our heart. What's your mouth speaking? What are you saying? Where do your loyalties lie? What are the words and the actions? What do your words and your actions proclaim? What are you known for and what do you want to be known for? Don't let people's abuses of the past cloud your realities of the resurrected Savior. Let me say that again. Don't let the abuses of the past cloud the realities of the resurrected Savior. Believer, turn to Jesus in prayer and learn how to bang the hammer of God's word. Those of you who don't really know where you stand with Jesus, build your house on the firm foundation of Christ, for he is powerful to save. Father God, thank you so much for the time we got to spend in Acts chapter 20. I pray that next week's time will be just as fruitful as the last several weeks. Would you visit us on these mornings? Would you open our eyes to new truth on these mornings? Would you give us a spirit of reception to, <clears throat> to that which is, which is true? Would you help us to sift it for the word that you have given specifically for us to hear, specifically for me to hear, specifically for you to hear? And will we act upon that word to glorify you, that you may be praised forever? Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being our God. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.